Good morning. This is Jimmy Williams with Live a Life by Design, your Monday morning moments of motivation. And boy, do we not need that this time of year. Hope everyone's doing okay with everything going on in the world as we seem to have placed a stop on all of our lives. We're now self-isolating toward a pandemic, you know, coming to our, our homes and our communities and our businesses and just basically change the way we live. And we only did this, in my opinion, temporarily. I want to tell you, the best thing about this life is I can control my attitudes. I can control my behaviors. Do not allow this pandemic to bring the worst out in us, but allow it to bring out the best. Find some unity in our community. And in that regard, I am excited beyond belief today to bring you another outstanding guest, a premier professional in her profession. This young lady I've known for many, many, many years is just outstanding. Now, I'm going to brag on her for just a minute before I tell you her name. She was the McAllister Public Schools Teacher of the Year. Now, let's let that soak in just a minute, folks. I have a celebrity in the studio today. This young lady hails from Empire City, Oklahoma. Now, if you're not familiar where that is, you're not alone. It's not (laughs) a very big city. Uh, I was teasing her before we came on air that I actually have two friends that went to undergrad school uh, from Empire City. So it's a pretty big city. At least I know three people from there. And she has a Bachelor of Science in Education and teaches the STEAM, not STEM. We've added another A in there, the STEAM courses for the first through fourth grade here in our city. With that, I just welcome you to the show today, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, not as excited as we are to have you. So Jennifer Lewis has been teaching now for many years has a wonderful approach to the kids. And now she's utilizing, during this pandemic, as schools have been closed, she's utilizing other mediums to teach and to bring excitement to those children she had normally interact with personally. But before we get started on all that good stuff, Jennifer, hey, uh, let me know. I'm going to get a little bit nosy here, but can you kind of tell me a little bit about your background as a child? Like you mentioned, I grew up in Empire City, Oklahoma. I was born in Duncan and, and grew up my entire life right there in Empire. I Actually, I grew up on a little farm, and we had horses and cows and pigs and chickens, and we grew a garden every summer. It was that typical little family farm that you see on TV. I, um, I spent my summers riding horses and playing in the creek or down at the hay barn. And, of course, with all that fun, living on the farm, there's a lot of chores that go along with that. So I learned some good life lessons like how to haul hay and fix fence and bust ice in the winter and, and things like that. But overall, for me, it was just the perfect way to grow up. So... You're saying you were actually born in Duncan, a suburb of Elmore City? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. For those of you listening that are not from Oklahoma, you won't get that. But uh, anyway, Duncan's a pretty good-sized community. So so how, how did you determine in life, raised on this farm, living in a great community, a very wholesome community like Elmore City, how did you decide that you wanted to be a profession such as teaching? Well, 
Well, so it was actually Empire City. So on the other, not, not Elmore City, Empire City, even smaller than Elmore City, just a tiny little dot on the map. We had one little convenience store. It was an itty-bitty little place. So, But, um, you know, as a kid, I loved school. I loved everything about it. And I was never one of those kids that dreaded going to school. I have just uh, infinite happy memories of my days at Empire Public Schools. And so I think all of that probably laid the groundwork that led me into education. But I would say probably the, the pivotal moment for me that really changed things and, and sort of sent me down the actual pathway to becoming an educator was um, in high school, my chemistry teacher was um, also our baseball coach, Coach Pickard, and he recognized something in me. He saw something in me that I had not recognized or seen in myself, and he pushed me so hard. He made me work harder than I thought I could work, and honestly, at the time, I felt like he was just picking on me. I really felt like he didn't like me. And he was making me do things that others didn't have to do. But as that year went on, I came to realize, because he told me, you know, he had that conversation with me, I'm, I'm not picking on you, Jennifer. Although he didn't call me Jennifer, he called me by my last name, he called me Tidwell. <clears throat> and he said, you know, I'm not picking on you. I just know, you're not pushing yourself. You're not really trying. And so realizing that he saw that potential in me, and the way that made me feel about myself was sort of the turning point. And I thought, I, I, have to, I have to be this person for others. And so that really was what led me down the pathway of majoring in education. Well, I don't want to embarrass you, but I, I've actually been to Elmore City, and that was a slip of the tongue instead of saying no. Empire City. So there is an Elmore City, by the way, near Paul's Valley. I'm going to tell you some more small towns, right? Uh, so my there apologies. Yeah. So, so you had this one, one teacher that really saw potential is what you're really saying and wanted to realize that potential in you as a child. That is the motivation for you now seeking out the potential of the children you teach grades one through four. And at the end of the day, isn't that really what gives teachers the most satisfaction? Oh, absolutely. Every single day is an opportunity for me to impact a life. Not every profession can say that. So I think with those opportunities, there's also a burden that falls on us. We have to figure out how to really empower our students and instill confidence in them and, and teach them to be thinkers and, and try to help them learn to persevere through those tough times. You know, one thing I want to say to you is that you already know this, but many of our listeners may or may not recall from their elementary class I'm uh, quite a bit older than, than Jennifer, and I will tell you, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Smith, I recall in my speaking across the country this story that she gave me the motivation and the positive attitude I have today from the first grade, Jennifer. So you are impacting those first graders more than what you know, because Miss Smith never heard this from me. She had died way before I ever, ever told this story. You know, so my my point to this is she told me, of all things, Jennifer, here it goes. She said, I could be president of our country someday if I just wanted to work hard enough. 
Could you believe that? I think that we're gifts, you know, that's a gift that teachers have. It's something that's been in the, in the field for a while. We begin to recognize things in people. And I think I think not only is it a gift that we have that we can recognize that, but it's a gift that we can give to, to our students when we can acknowledge their strengths and and bring those to light for them. You know, to, to be able to say, I see this in you and, and I, I value this in you and I encourage you to to move forward with that. So I, I believe it. I believe it, Jimmy. <laughs> well, say, I'm saying this not that I want to in any way solicit a contribution from you today for my campaign, but, you know, <laughs> I may in the future. Just just hold your wallet till I call you back. So, but uh, I'll campaign for you. You've got my vote. You're a good lady. I like you already, girl. But, hey, let's talk about some mentors. You know, I just told you, Mrs. Smith, I grew up really with that echoing. Now, I'm, I came from a very uh, lower-income family, six of us children, just hardworking, farming you know, kind of family, didn't have a lot of excess money, had a tremendous amount of love and support, never had a bad day, typically as a child. Well, I could mention some where I caught the barn on fire, but that, that other than that, I mean, most days were good. And so who are some of your mentors that you recall? And if you don't feel comfortable mentioning names, give me what they did to be a mentor to you, like what occupations or what role did they play? Okay. <clears throat> I have uh, two people that always pop to mind when someone asks me about my mentor. One is definitely in my um, professional life, and the other would be my my personal life. And um, the person who has impacted me the most of anyone, and, and my greatest mentor in that regard, is a, a lady named Tawana Pratt. She used to be a teacher here in McAllister, and, and she she taught my son his the second semester of pre K, and she taught Brinley both of her you know, her whole year in pre-K, and she's retired now, but she had this incredible way of making every person feel like they were the most important person to her. You were the most important person in the room. You were the most valuable person in the room. You were the most gifted person in the room, and it, it came from a place deep within her. She truly believed it, and she caused she caused me to believe it. She caused me to believe it about my children and about myself as an educator. And those lessons that she taught me are things that I've strived to, to take forward into my career with my own students. I would say probably the first five years of my teaching career, I bet I asked myself a million times, what would you want to do? How would she handle this? What would her approach be? Sometimes I got it right, and sometimes I probably didn't, but that was and, and continues to be my gauge for my decision-making with all things education-related. As a, In my personal life, my personal mentor would have to be my grandma, Tidwell, so my paternal grandmother. She lived until she was 94, and she was as tough as nails, but just the most loving person at the same time. Growing up, in, in my mind, I felt like she had had it all figured out. She ran a tight ship, but we could have so much fun together. She could cook, oh my goodness, her fried chicken and chocolate cake were the thing of legends. I mean, she was just a phenomenal cook. So 
always someone that I looked up to and admired in so many ways. And, and still, although she's been gone for many years, I still worry that I might disappoint her. You know, I, I, sure. when I encounter a predicament or something, I think, okay, now I have to be really careful about how I handle this because I wouldn't want my grandma too well to be mad at me or to, to think less of me. And so I think that those are, I mean, definitely the two people in my life that I, I, I gauge my decisions by, my reactions by, uh, Pratt and, and Grandma Tidwell. You know, every one of us has a grandmother, you know, Tidwell, for example. Uh, boy, I just, I had a great bond with both of my grandmothers. And you know, you're going to laugh as a young boy that's raised on a farm and a ranch. And I did have some exposure to a very small community of Cameron, Oklahoma. And I will tell you, those grandmothers, though, had a way straight to my heart through my stomach, Jennifer. All right, enough of that. You're making me hungry, okay? And we just got this started. So you can't be talking about fried potatoes, maybe some onions cut in those. Oh, my goodness, what a day. Matter of fact, if you want to replicate one of her meals, I'd be honored to come over and enjoy it with you because that's just my kind of food right there. That is good stuff. That's that's the best. So what's important to you about leaving a legacy to those one, you know, first through fourth grade children in steam. What what's so important to you about leaving a legacy of Jennifer Lewis? Oh you know, I think back on on those those two educators that I've just mentioned in this um, broadcast already, Coach Pickard and Tawana Pratt. And the legacy that they left for me uh, you know, they were those of, of just this of being an overcomer of being creative, a legacy that they left for me was, you know, of empowerment. And I I do teach STEAM right now, and that's, you know, that's the field that's so progressive at this time. It's it's kind of the the field that, or the, the, the discipline that leads to all of the fields that are, that are out there, science, technology, engineering, art, and, and mathematics are so overlapping and, and just sort of integrated into to everything that our students are learning to become. And the legacy I want to leave with them is, uh, you know, when, even though it may be hard, even though this may not be your strong suit, keep trying. Don't, don't expect that there's just one right answer. There are many right answers. There are many ways to solve a problem. And so I hope that, that, what I leave behind is a spirit of ingenuity, a spirit of perseverance, and a spirit of um, oh, curiosity in my students. You know, that's one of the things that I really think STEAM or the predecessor STEM really did for a lot of people. We didn't call it that back in our day, but I love the sciences, Jennifer, so the chemistry lab and you know, who doesn't want to make one of those nice sulfide stink bombs for they have to empty out the whole room? I mean, <laughs> right? So do you face some of this with your kids? Say that one more time. Do you face some of these kinds of challenges? You know, people like me in your class that create these stink bombs or cause problems from an environmental <laughs> perspective and you have to empty the room. Do you ever have that problem? Well, not yet. Um, they're limited in, in what they can get their hands on in my classroom right now. And so... <laughs> Some of the kids that I have right now, I am 
absolutely certain will be those students. I see a little bit of that in some of them right now. They push the envelope a little bit. They, you know, they're those students that are thinking way outside of the box, thinking around the box, you know, and, and they, they're, they're my more creative thinkers. And so they don't have the means to get into those things in my classroom right now, but I'm, I'm sure that I'll hear stories about them doing those types of things as they get older. <laughs> you know, I've got to be honest with you. Those are the people that turn out to be the Bill Gates of the world or the Mark Zuckerbergs. You know, they think so far outside the box. We all look at them and go, now, wait a minute. That kid's not even close to where the rest of the class is and what he's trying to do. But, you know, there's something unique about him. And, and that's the thing I love about teaching now is you don't try to put everyone in the same box it's just that everyone may be in the box, but learning at a different rate, different level, different approach, whatever. That's the difficulty, isn't it? It's difficult, in, especially in the traditional classroom, to, to sort of embrace that and, and let it play itself out. In the STEAM classroom, it's the easiest thing in the world. A lot of what I do is just I, I give them just a, some crumbs, and I say, see what you can do with this. You know, here's... Here's sort of the, the idea, now, now run with it. And, you know, last year, and this, is, this would have been my project at the end of this year, sort of something that we call makerspace. And I just literally dumped a bunch of junk out on the table, trash to most people, and said, what can you do with this? I, I need you to build a structure. Just go for it. And the things that the students created were mind-boggling. From my little first grade babies all the way up to my fourth graders, giving them the freedom to let their imaginations run wild, to let their creativity just flow, is it's phenomenal to see what they'll come up with. I mean, they made some of them made castles and, and things like that that they were just all kinds of things that they created. And one one particular student I remember she made this this beach scene and her structure was a lifeguard tower. That was the main structure that she she created but all of these details that she was able to use trash to create was mind-blowing. Luckily she let me keep that. I have it up in my classroom but she made an umbrella out of a bendy straw and a, um, a cupcake t- or a liner right. and it was just amazing. And so that's the beauty of STEAM is that those, those free thinkers, those fluid thinkers, they can really find their niche and they're not held back. Like, like many times, they, they still kind of have to be in the traditional classroom. Well, Jennifer, I, boy, you're just opening my mind up to historic events for me. And I'm going to say this in a very non-serious way, but I think my first apartment in undergrad school, based on your trash dumping being the science world, I think I had my own science lab in that first apartment, I, you know, if that's the criteria. You were onto something. You probably had some prototypes there that you didn't even realize you had. You know, I, I bet, yeah, I bet I sat down and let go of a lot of patented items I could have taken and patented. But anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. Well, say, Jennifer, you you're speaking with such great passion on your field. But let me ask you this: What if you weren't a teacher? What other career in this world would you be? When I was growing up, I was just certain that I was going to be a veterinarian. You know, like you, I, and I, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up on a farm, and so 
I had seen it all. My cousin was a veterinarian. I thought that I could handle it all. But my senior year, my, I can remember my dad waking me up in the middle of the night. I had a little prize guilt. He was having her first litter of babies, and she was struggling. And dad woke me up and said, you're going to have to come help her. She's going to die if you don't come and help her. And I, oh, my goodness, I realized in that moment that was not so delivering it, pigs was not in your not in your future is that what you're saying it was, it was not the veterinary science That is an awesome idea, and and I will tell you, you you may or may not know, I'm writing a book. I'm down to the finishing touches. It's going to the editor, and uh, I have really experienced, Jennifer, and I can tell you you're going to have the same approach and feeling, a certain amount of release, pride, accomplishment, and, and, and I don't know if it's just a way that I can release some of these thoughts I had, put them on paper, and see if they appeal to anyone. If they appeal to no one but me, it still feels like the right thing to do. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of at the end of the day, veterinarian, I do have a cat out here that's about to have a litter. Is there any chance you'd make a home, you know, <laughs> visit? I think I can help with with kitties being oh, delivered. Okay. I don't know. That's that's a little bit different than that mama pig trying to have her baby. Yeah, no, understood. <laughs> no, we do not have a cat having babies. I'm just making this up. But I will tell you, <laughs> one of the things that convinced me to go into the profession I'm in, the uh, uh, speaking and wealth management and CPA and all this stuff was the same reasons you chose not to be a veterinarian. So I've I've pulled pigs, I've, I've pulled calves, I've pulled uh, baby foals, and i got to be honest with you, I did not find a passion in any of it. Matter of fact, I tell you, I, uh, I got to the point after I left home, I said, you know, that's it for me. I'm going to do a real job somewhere where I don't have to to, to do this in the middle of the night, the, the pond's frozen. I had to get the cattle out of the pond. It's it, it just really hard work, and I admire those people that do it, you know. I think it's fantastic. So now, now I, do, I do too, but it yeah. was not for me. <laughs> no, no, agreed. And and so, what what to you though, Jennifer, has been the most fulfilling uh, event maybe in your lifetime? And it's a very short year, folks. She's only like eighteen. I mean, this young lady is just very, very young. But uh... <laughs> I think that one of the things that I have to me it definitely 
um, has has given me uh, a feeling of being fulfilled, validation. You know that that my peers see what I do and, and appreciate it. On a personal level, <clears throat> I would say that my children are the thing that has brought me the most um, fulfillment. I, I remember when my son was little saying to someone, you know, okay, this is this is the measure that I'm going to use to know whether or not I'm raising a good person. And that was always my goal. It wasn't to raise a, a great athlete. It wasn't to raise, you know, the most political person or, or whatever. My goal was with my children was to raise good people. And so I can remember saying that if parents want my child at their house, if, if when he's invited to their house, they say, oh, absolutely, he can, he's always welcome here. You know, um, without hesitation, then I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm raising a good person. And and so um, seeing my two children on their journey to becoming productive, valuable, contributing members of society, I think is what all parents really hope for. And even better, is when someone recognizes that brilliance in them, you know, they recognize that they've, they're, they're, the, the kind of people that are, are pushing our world forward into a better place and they take the time to tell me that, that's a very fulfilling feeling. Oh, my goodness. And and I'll be honest with you. I know you've done 99% of it. We'll give your husband at least 1% of the input on those two kids because they, <laughs> they are outstanding young people. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So so Brian did have a hand, you're saying, at least 1%? You oh, a, you know, <laughs> I'll give him a little credit, a little credit. No, he definitely, I, I've been blessed in the, the spouse department. He is a 100% equal partner in this, and where I'm weak, he is strong, and more times than I can count, we've had to had to have each other's back. Where one of us, the words failed, or our approach was wrong, the other one just Seamlessly, almost stepped in and, and took over and, and kept the kept it going, and so it's it's been a pretty blessed um, partnership that we've had with raising our kids. Well, like I said, you've got two wonderful kids. I will say this though that. At the end of the day, I was welcome in a lot of homes when I was a child. Uh, I tried to time it around dinner time. Uh, that'll explain itself, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, and they'd look at me and they'd always, I'd always say, oh, I didn't know you were eating. Of course, it's 6, 6.30, right? You know, and, well, come on in. Well, I don't want to impose. No, come on in. Okay, I'll be all right. Here we go. That's, that's, that's how you do it when you're raised on a farm, right, Jennifer? You just eat when they got food out. So That's right. You might not get another chance for a while. So let me ask you a tougher question. You know, I don't know how you do this. There's a misunderstanding between teachers and ministers that, you know, teachers only work from 8 to 3. They get off all summer. They don't do anything after that. I got to tell you, that is the most absurd description of a teacher of all that I know. And my sister was a teacher for 30 years as well. And she taught learning disabled students. I mean, this is lots and lots of work. Tell me... How do you efficiently keep your day, you know, efficient and you, you get things done and you stay on top of lessons plans and then taking care of the children and designing? How do you do all that? Well, I think that a routine is for sure essential. 
when I when I was first teaching, I didn't have a good routine. I didn't I didn't have my day sort of structured, and and as my career has progressed, that's something that's become more and more important to me. And I think that starting my morning off right, you know, I, I have a morning routine. My alarm goes off at five fifteen, and I get up and I go downstairs and make my coffee and have my morning devotional time and I go to work at 7 o'clock every day. I, I pull into the parking lot at school at 7 a.m. and um, I leave at 4.30 and every, basically, <clears throat> especially when I was in the regular classroom, every minute of my day was, was pretty much mapped out. You know, we get a, a, a short, a 40-minute planning time each day. And that's our time to make phone calls to parents. It's our time to grade papers. It's our time to uh, prepare for the next day. All of that in 40 minutes. And go to the restroom. You know, it's a, it sounds like, well, you get 40 minutes a day, but there's a lot that you have to, have to get done within that time. And so I, now it's not so much that way for me. My, my day looks very different than the typical classroom teacher, but you know, on, on, Mondays, that might be my day to make phone calls. On Tuesdays during my plan time was the day that I started pulling the work for the next week that I was going to get copied. Wednesdays, I graded, you know, papers that I needed for the first half of the week. And that led me to plan the second half of my week. And so each day was was very structured like that. And I think that um, being... Um, intentional about the work that I gave my students helped with that. You know, a lot of the a lot of the work that I did in my traditional classroom, especially towards the last few years of, of teaching that, wasn't worksheets. It was busy work. It was very meaningful, strategic work that I gave my kids. And so, <clears throat> in that regard, I was able to spend Wednesdays on my plan time grading everything I needed for the first half of the week. And um, I think that it's, it's impossible, even with the best routine and the best, the best schedule, it's impossible to fit everything in within the confines of the school day. And so um, a lot of evenings are spent researching. Things are changing so quickly. Things change so fast in education, especially in the field I'm in now with, with STEAM. I have to, have to spend time outside of school planning and researching and and, and trying things. I have to do activities at home before I ever take them to school because, you know, I, I can't take them to school and have them fail. And so you're right, and it, it is a sad misconception that teachers don't work more than eight to three, but I think that, I think that, I really think that most people know that. I think that a lot of people, they like to say that, and they like to you know, kind of rib us a little bit and tease us a little bit. But, but I think that more and more people are beginning, I, I feel like at least in my circle, people are beginning to understand that it's a it's a very time-consuming occupation. Yeah, it's, it's an all-in career is what I call it. There is no secondary things you can be doing during the school year. It's an all-in career, you know. And... Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever used your own, say, kitchen or dining room for some of these experiments and maybe, I don't know, had to re-wallpaper or repaint afterwards? you have any of that problem? <laughs> no, nothing's ever exploded, really. Hmm. Um, but I have, I have had 
a lot of spills that I've had to clean up, you know, things that, messes that I've made like that, but nothing that, that really had me have to call the contractor and really get get busy on remodeling. Well, you're, you're fortunate. So when I was a younger gentleman, my, my largest, uh, I should say my highest ACT score was in sciences. And I always loved science and I always loved anything you could do to create something from raw materials and make it into a different product, for example, or further process it. So uh, you wouldn't be shocked, I'm sure, to know that my parents had a home that was a very small home for the number of people we had in it. And they just come out with these two-liter bottles of pop and this plastic. Now, don't laugh. That's how long ago this has been, a long time ago. And I did an experiment, Jennifer, and I think you'll appreciate this, being a science and you know, technology teacher and all that in STEAM, is I applied energy to carbonated pressurized liquids. Now, when your brother, just older than you, that's always picking on you, comes in and you know he's going to go for that soda and you apply the pressure to this liquid carbonated drink. Basically, when he opens a lid, what happens, Jennifer, do you think? Gosh, I would imagine he might get a face full of that carbonated beverage. Yeah, about a, about a half a liter of it. And so um, there he is soaked in Dr. Pepper. I'll go ahead and mention it, although they're not a sponsor of this podcast. But I'll mention Dr. Pepper is all over him. It's all over mom's curtains near the sink. It's all over the floor, all over the counter. And don't laugh. I was the only one in the other room laughing because it was hilarious. Uh, but I didn't laugh too well when I had to clean it up. But it, I digress again. I just tell you, I had a great childhood is what I'm trying to say. I'm very much ahead of my time on steam, Jennifer, again. Very much. I love it. Now, so so let me ask you a couple other things, and we're going we're gonna to conclude this. But I, I'm just so excited about what is coming up in the future of education. So we're under a challenge now. We are actually having you teach using YouTube or Facebook Live or having to use some means, OEA TV, our public TV stations now trying to come up with some things. Our school systems have literally closed, Jennifer, for the remainder of the school year. As a teacher, what do you do? How do you reach the kids and how do we teach? Well, I think... Fortunately for us, educators are well-versed in adapting at a moment's notice. Um, that it happens daily in our classrooms. Something isn't working, and we have to, on the fly, on the spot, we have to revamp our, our lesson. We have to figure out what works for our students. And so it's not a completely novel idea for us to scrap everything we've been doing and start over, but that's... That's literally what we're having to do. Um, this, this concept of remote learning is what we're calling it, where we are um, creating lessons and, and trying to find a way to get those out to our students. And <clears throat> there's a lot of challenges associated with that. Um, for example, not all of our students have access to technology. They can't all go to a computer. They don't all have access to Wi-Fi. And so... It's, it's something that, that caught us off guard in, in a lot of respects, but it's, it's also something that we're willing to take the challenge on and, and figure out how to, how to make it work. Like you said, um, you know, YouTube, I'm using YouTube, I'm, I'm filming things. I have one ready to upload today where we, I did an art project today um, and sort of piggybacked off of what we were learning about right before we got out of school for spring break. And um, one of 
the challenges associated with that is that a lot of my students, a lot of students in McAllister and all across the world, um, they have limited resources. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of what items they could have at home that I can, I can use for them to do this project so that they don't have to leave the house, so that they're not out any expenses. And so it's, it's definitely a time where teachers are having to really dig deep and, and find that creativity that, that we all have. Uh, fortunately, this crisis hit us at a time where we were nearing the end of the content that we're required to cover for the year. So I, I sort of say that it's sort of a, a double-sided sword because we've, we've taught all of the content that they're about to be tested on. And we're always relieved when that happens because at this point we get to have fun. Right. You know, we really get to we we get to sort of do the things that we we all enjoy so much. And so we're not able to do those things at school, but we're trying to figure out how to bring a little bit of that into their home. So YouTube is great. We're we're going to be using um, a lot of Google Classroom. Google has been a lifesaver for teachers. Um, everything is so easy to integrate. You know, we record a video, put it right onto what it's called our Google Classroom, and if any students with access to the internet, to, to Wi-Fi, they can go right there. We can screen record lessons and put those out for the kids. There's a, a lot of um, a lot of tools at our disposal right now to kind of help us with this, and all of the companies have just been absolutely so gracious during this time. They're offering free memberships throughout the duration of this um, COVID-19 crisis. They're, they're giving us tools that we need to kind of immediately serve our students. So it's, a, it's definitely evolving quickly and constantly. What, what we think is going to work, we get word from the State Department that, that we can't do that. It's it, it breaks some sort of, uh, it's a violation of some sort of confidentiality or something. And so there's been a lot of start and stop over the last week and a half. But I think we're finally getting to a place where we can um, begin to really push forward and get materials out to students. Some are going to be digital, some are going to be online, and some are going to be really um, old school paper and pencil, whatever we have to do. So, to make sure that, that that every kid, every child in our our school has what they need to be successful is what we're what we're doing. So I want to give you a, a you you said it. I'm going to shorten it a little bit. I always tell people it's that old saying that it's not so many times that you get stopped or knocked down. It's the fact that you got to just keep getting up. And 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 teaching now you're having to do that. Like you said, there are certain guidelines or statutes you can't violate. There's privacy issues you can't violate. So you got to find your spot or your niche in that, and you got to say, okay, uh, I'm going to push this envelope to this point and see if they say no. And if not, then we found a valid means to communicate, right? You know. So so at, at the end of the day, I do want to ask this because all of our listeners always enjoy these guests when they come on, and so so much wisdom in what you've said today in taking a passion that you have and bringing it to this forefront and being a like a legacy leader for your children that, that you teach so that they can look back 25, 30 years later and go, you know, I remember Mrs. Lewis doing this and I can remember how it impacted my life. So what what is one statement of advice that you might leave about influence, leadership, legacy, 
whatever that our listeners could take to heart today? Oh, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a quote person. I really enjoy quotes from people because I think that they they can say things better than I can a lot of times. But um, John Quincy Adams said one time that if your actions inspire others to dream more, do more, and become more, then you're a leader. And I really feel like in life, more often than not, if you're doing things for the right reason and you trust your gut, you make the right decision. And um, I think that that's kind of it. Like, assess why we're doing what we're doing. If we're doing it for the right reason, then others are going to get on board. That's they're going to recognize that, and that's that's part of being a leader. Another another person that I love is John C. Maxwell. He's written a lot of books on leadership. And, and I bet I own I bet I own ten or twelve of them. There's there's way more than that. Yeah, they're great great books. So many. One of the things that he said, and I'm kind of going to paraphrase here, but it's something that, that has always kind of stuck with me since I read it. And he said, and it's so perfect for this season that we're in with education especially. He said something to the effect of a pessimist will complain about how the wind is blowing. And an optimist feels sure that the wind is it's going to stop blowing that way or it's going to change directions and everything's going to be fine. But a leader adjusts the sail. They'll adjust the sail on the ship and make the wind work to their advantage. And so that's kind of what we're, we're all trying to do right now. We're, we're trying to adjust the sails and, and ride the ship, so to speak, and keep our, our kids moving in the, the direction that they need to go. That is an awesome way to end this interview. Jennifer, thank you so much. It has been an honor and privileged to have you join us here at Live a Life by Design today. Well, thank you for having me. I completely enjoyed it. Well, we'll have you back soon, I'm sure, because as many accolades as you're going to earn over your career, I know there's something else that we're going to want to listen to and hear from you that's impactful. So go out, enjoy your day, enjoy your week, the remainder of your school year, knowing that you are being impactful in the young lives of the kids in our community. And And that's what teaching folks is all about to me. It's that Mrs. Smith, that Mrs. Lewis. It's those people that see something in a kid that's just a block of clay now that he could be a Michelangelo later in life, that we can just take some of those rough edges off, point them in the right direction, and they have such great talent in those brains and such creativity. They are going to figure it out, and they are going to be better for it because of people just like you. Thank you for joining us today, Jennifer. Special thanks today to Jennifer Lewis, first through fourth grade STEAM teacher at McAllister Public Schools. It has truly been an honor to share this time with you, Jennifer. And thank you for joining us today on Live a Life by Design. Please join us next week as we're going to talk about my five strategies for helping you accomplish more with less energy. I don't know about you, but I never have the endless energy I like. Of course, I get up early and I go to bed late, but I want to get the most out of each day that I can. So join us next week here on Live a Life by Design and go out and make yourself a bigger, better, and bolder you. We'll see you next week. You can get a complete transcript of today's show online at livealifeby.design. If you like the show, please tell your friends and family about it. 
Also, we would be very appreciative if you would leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Life Master Key production. The program is copyrighted by Jimmy J. Williams and Company, all rights reserved. Our recording engineer is Happy Design Company. Our production assistant is Amy Cotton. Our intern is Brinley.